0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Cowboys Ride for Free, the podcast. As you can tell, I'm not Cade Webb. Cade had some last minute stuff to come up that came up, a uh, little schoolwork, a little family time. So Cowboys Ride for Free, fellow writer Joel Pinfield, also co-host of the Bush League podcast with Trey Cobb, graciously... J- is joining me tonight, taking some time out of his busy schedule. So, uh, what's up, Joel?
1: Oh, not much, man. Just hanging in there. Semester's been rough here. We're three weeks in, but it's uh, it's been tough so far. But, you know, Cowboy Athletics have been kind of getting me through it a little bit. So, they <laughs> are giving me something to kind of ease my mind. Well, after the Baylor game, I don't know if that necessarily eased my mind, but you know what I'm going with here.
0: Yeah, look, maybe ease it after the KU win and then brought you back down. <laughs> yeah, there we right go. Yeah, After the Baylor loss. But, yeah, so Kate's not here. Joel and I, we're gonna just we're gonna do our normal agenda. We won't do any of the great segments or anything. Uh, save that for Cade and I to kind of pick back up when he gets back next week. But Joel and I'll come at you with this podcast. We're thinking it's gonna be thirty or forty minutes ish. But when Joel and I get talking, uh, it's hard to stop us. So it might be a little longer than that. But we're gonna go ahead and start off with the top three and with uh, national signing day. The big topic on everybody's mind. We went ahead and decided that ne- neither of us were recruited D1 out of college. I-, I know much to everyone's surprise, but we're gonna decide if we were picking somewhere to sign on National Signing Day, non Oklahoma State, because we both would pick Oklahoma State. Where would we go? And we'll break it down. Uh, let's start. Let's start with three and go to one. One being where we'd most want to go. Joe. I'll throw it to you for number three.
1: All right. So my number three is Auburn. Um, they're, they were like one of the few oh, SEC schools that I really like. Um, I've been a fan of theirs really since I was in 8th grade. Uh, some really uh, good friends of mine, neighbors, uh, when I lived on post at Fort Leavenworth. Huge Auburn fans. and My dad was employed at the time so I went over and watched football with them on Saturdays. And it was actually the year that uh, Cam Newton won. that uh, led them to the national championship. So, you know, I kind of got a oh, soft spot nice. for them. Kick six and all that. So, whenever they're doing well, I always root for them.
0: I like that. Uh, any any SEC school really is would be awesome to play for. And I mean, no shade of the Big Twelve, but just if you were getting recruited by the SEC, that means you're
1: it, it just a top means athlete. more. It just means <laughs> <Yeah>. more.
0: <laughs> but okay, so my number three, I'm gonna go with Florida on this one. This is all from growing up in the nineties. Florida and Florida State were the top two teams, always on TV. Uh, I just feel like when you wear that Florida blue jersey with the orange helmet, you just look fast. No matter what <laughs> position you play, even the linemen sounds about look right. fast. And I would like to, I would like to put that jersey on and look fast because I've never been fast in my life. But I've always, yeah, I, I love Florida's jerseys. Kate and I have talked about that before. I think we did a jersey breakdown, and I put Florida up there. I just think it would be cool. Uh, I don't know a lot about Gainesville or uh, that area in general, but I think it would be. Cool to play for Florida and playing the Swamp. Uh, oh yeah, you know, that would iconic be... stadium. So that that's my number three, and uh, again in SEC school. So um,
1: what's your number two? My number two, I'm going. Uh, well, former Big Twelve but to the Big Ten for Nebraska, and I mean oh. that's one of those. I mean, I really, I obviously am not old enough to watch the the powerhouse '90s teams, you know, the black shirts Tom and all Osborne. that. What? Tom Osborne, yeah, the Tom Osborne, Tom teams. Osborne, and the, the option foot. No, nah, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have seen that, but. They just have such a rich tradition of college football there and Memorial Stadium is incredible. I've been there for a couple camps for punting and kicking when I was in high school. Oh, nice. And I yeah, and I walked in that stadium and I was just in awe. Like it's it was one of those just incredible moments and it was empty, but you could just feel like the history and everything in that stadium that was there. It was something I'll never forget. But the main reason why I would pick Nebraska now is I became a huge Scott Frost fan this year with Central Florida and yeah. i would love to go play for that guy.
0: He seems like like he gets really involved with the players, kind of like a Mike Boynton style, like he's he's not just yelling at them all the time. It seems like he's actually like friends with them but also knows how to coach and motivate them and i love that.
1: Yeah, my the i really became a fan of his when they went to play Navy in in conference in the American and they didn't have a scout team quarterback that knew how to run the option. So he put on a helmet and ran the option because that's what he <laughs> ran as a quarterback in Nebraska. No pads, just a helmet making reads. And I was like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. Like that, That's something you don't awesome. see a coach do very often. He was a solid player, too. He was. He was really good. And I think going back to his alma mater, I think he's going to do a good job there. And my roommates and I, we actually decided we're, when Oklahoma State's got an away game, uh, Nebraska has a home game against Minnesota in October. And we're going to go up for that game because why not go A to Nebraska, B to got to go see Scott Frost.
0: Yeah, that that's going to be awesome. That sounds like a fun trip. I, I like that at number two, and I wasn't really expecting that one, so the, I like that one. Okay, so my number two, I talk about him on the podcast all the time, so it's probably if we have any avid listeners, I'm not sure if we do, but they probably know this already. I was a huge Florida State fan growing up. Um had a, had a jersey, it was number 16 Which coincidentally ended up being Chris Winkie's number So I just tell everybody it's a Chris Winkie jersey Even though there's no name on the back But Florida State was my team That Tallahassee just being in that That campus, it looks really cool Stadium's awesome Bobby Bowden, history there Obviously they got Willie Taggart there now But I, I, I like him, I like what he did in, with their recruiting class so I think it'd be Florida State again, another jersey you just look fast in. Um I've just always been a huge fan and that just goes back to again them being really good in the nineties. They had work done. He went to high school right by my house in Baton Rouge. So I was a huge work done fan through his career with the Bucks and Falcons and everything. And right after that, right after work done at Florida State they had Travis Minor, also Baton Rouge guy. So just knowing the guys from baton rouge i think draw me drew me to them even more and i think everybody liked florida state back then but they're they're my number two
1: that's a solid pick you know that's that's one of those again just like a the history there i think that would just be that would be incredible it really would especially when you played that in that florida game that rivalry even the rivalry they kind of have with clemson now i think that would that would be awesome
0: yeah i think it would be fun okay so who's your number one
1: my number one this goes back to when i lived out in the pacific northwest i lived out in washington for about six years growing up and i kind of watched their rise a little bit uh but i'm gonna go with oregon um from a standpoint of playing in austin stadium that's one of the loudest in the nation it's not the biggest but it's certainly one of the loudest they have a passionate fan base even when they weren't good a couple years ago they went four and eight they still were selling out nearly every game uh you know they have a great coach there now. Um, I I'm, I'm excited to see what they can do moving forward. So I always kind of root for them. It, I really enjoyed watching Marcus Mariotti. He was one of my favorite college players ever. But the main reason you got to go there's just for the uniforms, right? I mean, yeah, that's what I was gonna
0: say. You got some you got some swaggy
1: some swaggy gear. Over that, there. That's got to be the main reason. As, as selfish and as you know as as like you know that's not the reason you go to a school. It's got to have some pull, and I, yeah. I would definitely wear any of those uniforms, except for, like, the neon yellows. Like, I think those are disgusting, but other than that, like, it's What
0: do just... you think about the one where they looked like the mascot? Was that See, two years ago?
1: That was two years ago, and I thought that was awesome. That was one of the better... I think that was one of the funnier, better combinations. It was better than the Florida uniforms that they looked like a gator. <laughs> can't,
0: can't not spend, like, ten minutes on those uniforms on the podcast. about how much we hate them
1: yeah so I, I I gotta go I think the duck I think that was clever. They, they do some good stuff obviously with Nike being there. obviously they, they you know they pull out some really cool stuff. I think that's one of the better places for uniforms in the in the country.
0: Yeah, no, I, I like that Oregon pick number one. I think my number one is pretty obvious. Uh, it would be LSU. Just Shocking stop the <laughs>
1: presses everybody. I mean Dustin uh, <laughs> picking something from LSU. <laughs> growing up there with season
0: tickets my parents went there most of my family went there got cousins in school there right now actually one of my cousins is a cheerleader there right now she's making me jealous going to all the games but uh but yeah it'd be LSU I, I love that stadium I love Baton Rouge I love that campus uh it, it was between Oklahoma State and LSU for me for college so that, that's that would be where I go the purple and gold love it the, the golden band from Tigerland one of the best bands in the country so i'm just I'm not not a huge fan of some of the coaching moves they made recently but i would probably suck it up and go play there unless i was a quarterback or wide receiver
1: probably. yeah if you're a running back you definitely go there but if you're our size playing wide receiver uh not a good call <laughs> true but no I like that I think that was
0: good and tie this in to, uh, we're going to go into so this week for our one big thing unless you have anything else Joel
1: uh, What were, do you have any honorable mentions
0: oh yeah 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 I, I think for honorable mention, I would go with a West Coast school. I think a USC or UCLA. I think both those would be really cool, especially with Chip Kelly out of UCLA now. And then just the history, all the Heismans, national championships, at Coliseum, USC. So I think those are two of my honorable mentions.
1: All right, cool. My For my honorable mentions, I have A&M. Just from a history standpoint, I think playing in Kyle Field would be incredible. Uh, I went down. I went down to A and M for a game this year, and it was one of the coolest experiences I've had for a fan it's of awesome any sport. Stadium. And it wasn't even like maybe eighty percent full, but it was still it was an incredible experience. Number uh, my other honorable mention: uh, University of Minnesota, the Golden Gophers. Uh, I thought about going there for school, but the main reason I would go there now is I am a huge PJ Fleck fan. He's probably my favorite college coach outside of Mike Gundy. Row the boat. Row the boat. I, I love that. I think it's a really cool coaching tool. He kind of has the same thing as uh, Scott Frost that he loves the players and he loves you know motivating them and teaching them how to be you know men of character after they graduate. So I think that's a really cool model that he shows for his players. I think I think he's an I think he's just a cool dude and I would love to play for him. And then my number yeah. three would be Michigan. I know it's kind of the rivalry, yeah. but playing in the, you can't go wrong playing in the Big House.
0: Yeah, that would be awesome, and playing for Harbaugh would be cool too, that dude's
1: a nut See, I don't know if I'd want to play for Harbaugh, but I would go, I would, like you like you said, I would kind of suck it up and play in the big house uh,
0: Why did you almost go to Minnesota?
1: Um, I was looking for just somewhere different, I, I kind of wanted to get uh, out okay. of Kansas So it was one of those, you know, why not, you know, I went up there for a visit And obviously having all the professional sports teams there, you know, all in the city You know, that would be really cool for like, internship opportunities and, so, and stuff like that But I got waitlisted, so I never actually knew if I got in or not
0: <laughs> I used to always buy the, like, or not always, but I would ask for the different colleges, college basketball shorts off, like, East Bay and stuff when right. I was growing up. And I had a pair of Minnesota shorts, and they were sick.
1: Nice. Yeah. Was, <laughs> I actually had a friend of mine that lives up in Minnesota send me a Row the Boat shirt, and I have one of those. and it Oh, is, that's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. Well,
0: that was good. That was really fun. Love talking about different colleges because, you know, obviously we're mostly Oklahoma State on here. Not that that's a bad thing, but it's fun going to that. And like I said, it ties into our one big thing this week. I know Kate and I sometimes do separate one big things. Joel and I are just going to do signing day in general. It was yesterday. Obviously, Oklahoma State had early signing day where they signed about 98% of their class, but signed a couple guys yesterday. And so, Joel, just kind of – Take me through your thoughts on the signing day in general. Um, maybe you know, like thoughts on compared to the rest of the Big Twelve, and kind of discuss it from there.
1: Well, say I think it's, I mean it was pretty uneventful, obviously, because they signed I think twenty three of their twenty five guys on sign. You know, in the, on the early signing period, twenty yeah, it was twenty three of their twenty five. So yeah. there really wasn't a whole lot to talk about. But I think they didn't have a defensive lineman in that early class. So the fact they were able to get two a JUCO guy and a true fre and the guy that's going to come in as a true freshman. Uh, Amadou Fofana is a, the Juco guy out of Highland, Can, Highland, uh, Highland Community College, Highland, Kansas, about two hours north of where I live now. Or I live oh, in nice. Kansas, yeah. So I've been up there uh, before. And then the other guys, well, I'm, I probably am going to butcher <laughs> this so say. badly, but I'm going to try it. Uh, Sam, Samuela Tui-Halamaka. I'm pretty that, sure that's that right. I'm going to go like with it. Um, but he's from California. I think it's really cool to be we able to go get a West Coast guy. Uh, he went to Matter, uh, Mater Dye High School, which is one yeah. of the best in the nation there, St. John Bosco and uh, Bishop Gorman out there on the West Coast. When they went 15-0, they won state in California, which is huge, especially Southern California. And as a defensive lineman, he had 100 tackles on the season. So he's a force. And I think with uh, – you know, Joe Bob Clements, I think he can do something with him. I don't know if he'll start right away or even play, but you think he's going to be a guy that can, you know, step in at some point. I think Fofan is definitely going to get playing time here right away. He was really good uh, out of Highland Park or Highland and Highland Community College.
0: Yeah, I'm a little confused about uh, Samuela, or however you say it, because. Modern Day is like one of the top high school football programs in the whole country, especially yeah. in California, which is which has a lot of big programs. And I think his only other top offer was from uh, ULL, uh, Ragin the Razor Cages, Louisiana FCS. Interesting. Uh, yeah, so it it's a little weird to me. I, he's a little shorter, but not that. I mean, six two two ninety. He plays he plays on the D line. I mean, that's pretty good size, especially for a kid that can come into Rob Glasses.
1: Oh, um, boy. Program to get
0: a little bit bigger, but I, I know he was a wrestler too, which you love to have wrestlers on the D line. Oh, because j- I mean, just just with their form and technique, they know how to get skinny, they know how to get around guys and use some of those moves. So it's always good to have a wrestler on the D line. I know high school coaches love having the wrestlers come out and play, but um yeah, a little weird because Modern Day is such a popular high school over there and such a powerhouse program, and then. uh and obviously him being a d tackle we had zero like you said no defensive tackles because Israel Antoine uh decommitted kind of last minute there on early signing day he was kind of our big get and our only d tackle so the fact that we were able to get Sammy is what I'm gonna call him it is huge that works. And, then, yeah, and then and then Fofana yeah that again kind of flew under the radar i think i think i actually heard this on uh the pistols firing reload their recruiting podcast i think he actually reclassed late since he was in community college it okay. was going to be 2019 and reclassed to 2018 so i think that's why he maybe was a little bit lower recruited
1: makes uh, sense not okay as
0: well but but still i think they're both talented guys and you know kate and i and you and i just in the slide chat of talked about the class and we broke it down on the podcast so we won't go through all that but what are your thoughts I just want to ask you your thoughts on Oklahoma State finishing behind Baylor they finished 5th in the Big 12 in recruiting Uh, ahead of them Texas was number 1 they killed it 11 of the top 15 recruits in the state of Texas Tom Herman's first real full year to be able to recruit OU's number 2 got some solid guys I'm sure that Jordan Brand uh, Contracting down uh, yeah. a little bit <laughs> And then TCU, Baylor And then us So what do you think about 1-11 in Baylor
1: Getting See, going? That's really us? interesting But that tells me Matt Rule can recruit uh, oh, So yeah. that, that's something that now Oklahoma State has to recognize But the thing that I've noticed At least with Mike Gundy's classes And this is the highest ranked class he's ever had So there's something to be said for that But the thing we notice Is that we don't know anything about the recruiting classes that Mike Gundy brings in until about two years in. Because we don't get the five star guys very much. You know, we get the occasional guy, we get a few four stars, a lot of three stars and, you know, the two star guys we can kind of turn into gems. So we don't really know what they're gonna do until a couple years in when they're actually playing. We don't have a lot of true freshmen that come in and start right away. It's pretty rare. At least in my from what I've watched for Oklahoma State. So to me, stars don't mean much, especially at Oklahoma State. Because James Washington was a two star guy and look what he's doing.
0: Right, and and I completely agree with that argument. But as a fan, do, does it make you mad? Philosophy that that he that it's almost like he's scared to get those higher recruit guys. Not saying that he, I'm not saying the reason why we don't is because Gundy just doesn't want to. Obviously, we have competition, but it sounds like he just thinks the the kind of lower star guys that he can go find and build up into better players just less of a headache you know he always says James Washington never never says a word never says a word it, d- does that make you mad at all as a fan that, that it seems like that's kind of his thought process and, and not to a, a more aggressively go after these higher star recruits
1: I mean obviously it is a little bit frustrating because I think Oklahoma State has a brand enough now that we don't need to you know we don't need to sell ourselves too much Oklahoma State's a national brand now even if we aren't necessarily winning conference championships or not winning you know competing for national championships whatever whatever you wanna say. Oklahoma State's a brand that is known throughout the nation now. Right. You know, just the bright the bright orange, the Nike, the, you know, the nice uniforms, you know, Mike Gundy's mullet, you know, Mason Rudolph throwing bombs, you know, things like that, that got out and that made Oklahoma State a national brand. So it is kind of frustrating that, you know, we don't get guys like that. But I think it's just gonna take getting one or two either next year or the year after to kinda open the floodgates.
0: Yeah opening up the floodgates is something that it, it's it's going to happen eventually. I, I just don't know when. I thought it was going to happen after some of those classes we had in 2014. But, yeah, I, I see your point in it. It does frustrate me too, but you know, Gundy knows his stuff. That We've had great teams. We've turned out pros. So, you know, it, it is a little frustrating, but it's not something to the point where I would ever, you know, call for Gundy's head because of his recruiting philosophy. That's- so, I I completely agree with you there. And and then it's also weird, you know, I'm looking at Baylor's recruiting class on 24-7 Sports. Their top two guys aren't even from Texas. Hmm. They, got a guy, they got a guy from Arkansas and a guy from Florida, and I actually read a little bit about this guy from Arkansas, a quarterback, even though they've got Charlie Brewer. Oh, I know. Kid's, I, I think I heard about this dude. <laughs> yeah, Bohannon. Apparently this kid's a stud, Yeah, threat quarterback. So they'll probably have a another QB battle on their hands like they did with Smith and Brewer last year, but... Uh, just kind of moving off Oklahoma State, looking at the Big Twelve right now. Um, Kansas, not not at the bottom.
1: David ba- <laughs> David Beatty, or yeah, he he is, at least from what I've heard from people that go to KU, because I have a lot of friends that go there. Like for the most part, they don't care about the program, but I you know some sports and up people that like they really like him as a coach. And obviously, the results aren't showing right now, but those aren't his guys. And the fact that he's yeah. able to recruit and can tell guys to go to to Lawrence, Kansas, and play football, that's pretty telling that maybe they're heading in the right direction. And it's still probably going to take three or four years before I think they're even going to try and compete for a bowl game. But if that's what it takes to get another team that's relevant in the Big 12, then okay.
0: Yeah, no, I hear you there. And yeah, I like Beatty a lot. And I thought people needed to give him more of a chance. You know, he kind of showed some life, and then last year obviously fell off, and people are bashing him but you need some time to build up in Kansas you can't just come into Kansas and turn it around or or if you do it it's high like you have some stud that just broke out or a couple studs that just broke out so I think they need to give him some more time but one thing that I think is really key for Kansas is I think early signing day really really helped them out a lot I in the past, you know, these guys signed with Kansas and everybody's laughing like, <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens come National Signing Day. These guys are going to flip somewhere else. You know, they're, they're going to or commit to Kansas. They're going to, you know, end up signing somewhere else. But this year they get these guys to sign early. Like they got two guys from Louisiana. Their top two recruits are from Louisiana. Then they go New York, Arizona, Missouri, California, Texas, Iowa until they get to a Kansas player. And that's in level of rating what i just read you off so interesting okay these these guys these guys sign early i think that really helps a school like kansas South who is able to you know kind of show a lot of interest in a kid and normally a kid will commit if a team's showing heavy interest right off the bat and then once these bigger programs start noticing hey oh who is that guy then they can kind of flip them but with that early signing day and gundy talked about it you know when he talked on early signing day in his presser, it really helps out schools like Oklahoma State. Obviously, Oklahoma State's a tier above Kansas, a couple of tiers above Kansas, but uh, it helps schools out like Kansas. And then now you have at the bottom of the Big Twelve, Kingsbury and Tech, so not looking great there for him. And Kansas State's down there at the bottom, but I man, I, I'm worried about Iowa State and Matt oh, Campbell because they got a good coach, and now they're getting some recruits. And I know they got a co- like, I think they might have got two quarterbacks.
1: I, I was and sitting around. I was sitting around praying at the end of the season. Like, Please, can someone back up the Brinks truck and get Matt Campbell away from Iowa State because <laughs> that guy is going to build an absolute. I, I don't think it's gonna be a powerhouse, but that team's gonna be really good.
0: <laughs> yeah, the,
1: it's it's gonna be unreal. They've got some studs. They're ranked number seven, and then they also I
0: found this out: Real Mitchell. He's a uh, he, one of the quarterbacks. I believe dual threat guy. He, he his mom was blaze on a, the show american Glass.
1: <laughs> oh my god oh no <laughs> I, I typed him in because i wanted to look up
0: a little bit more about him and that was the first thing that popped up that's but, amazing yeah so i mean we won't stay too much longer on signing day um uh, i had a, just a couple other quick thoughts maybe just run by joel what do you think about georgia getting seven
1: five stars uh, that's the greatest recruiting class of all time. but I've heard that being not an exaggeration. Jeez, it, it, they got, I think they got the number one quarterback, they got the number one running back, number one wide receiver, number one offensive lineman, uh, number one linebacker, and another top five safety and another number one or two defensive lineman.
0: That, I just want one five-star. That quarterback, too, Justin Fields, mm-hmm. someone I heard comped him to a bigger, stronger, more athletic Russell Wilson.
1: And Jake Fromm's going to be their starting quarterback next year. you got to think yeah. about
0: <laughs> They're set at quarterback for a while. I heard there's going to be a competition. And if – I mean, if Fields beats him out, then somebody's going to get a uh, sick transfer in Fromm because that dude's good.
1: Fromm to OK State?
0: Ooh, I like it. I, <laughs> I like where your head's at. And then, yeah, just one other little kind of tidbit I had is uh, – <laughs> I found out that a lot what is his name? It's Elijah Williams, maybe, but he's uh, rapper Warren G's. Oh, Elijah Griffin. Yes, he's, USC. This. he's, he's Warren G's son, so he's gonna uh, he's gonna be regulating the defensive backfield at, US, at USC if you, uh, if you get that nineties rap joke there. Fantastic! But, uh, Fantastic. <laughs> But, yeah, that, that, that was really all else that stood out to me. We kind of covered it with the Big 12. Did you have anything else on kind of overall National Signing Day? Um,
1: the mom that walked out on his uh, her son <laughs> committing to Florida <laughs> as she's wearing an Alabama hoodie and a Tennessee hat.
0: Oh, dude, that was tough. What is that guy's name, Jacob Copeland?
1: Yeah. But I guess she, <laughs> he said later, like, everyone was kind of ripping the mom, like, oh, you know, you you overshadowed your son's big moment. You know, why would you do that? But. He he joked later like that's just my mom always trying to, you know, be the center of attention was all I was. I mean, she said it was mostly in good fun and kind of a joke. But yeah, come on, just like let let your son go where he wants to go.
0: Yeah, he didn't look too he didn't look too upset about it. He looked like he was a little confused when she first stood up. But yeah, I agree with you. Just just let him have his day. Exactly. I mean, He's what, 17, 18 years old. Just let him, just let him have his day. And uh, he picked Florida. I would have picked Florida. Yeah, but I would, I don't want to go play for Saban. That dude is not
1: nice. No, but, he's uh, he's not nice, and you wouldn't play because <laughs> <laughs> you've got three five stars in front of you before you can play. Yeah. And he's a wide receiver, so yeah, exactly. But uh, well, okay, no, he so, he'll, he'll have talk about a low him now.
0: Oh yeah, that is true. That's what's gonna happen. That's what's gonna happen at, that's what's gonna happen at uh, Georgia and Alabama situation. Just might, yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's a wrap up of signing day. I know we talked a little bit outside of Oklahoma State, but you know it's college football. It kind of affects Oklahoma State because we'll be playing these other teams, especially in the Big Twelve. So, before we move on to basketball, I just want to touch for a few minutes. Kind of flew under the radar with signing day coming up, and I don't think anybody's really watched a lot of film on this guy. You know, the media outlets have put out some stuff on him, but Oklahoma State recently had Drew Brown transfer from Hawaii, and he's a graduate. He's going to be graduating in May or June, so he'll be able to play right away. And. That just adds another cog into the machine that is the Oklahoma State quarterback competition. So, what are your initial thoughts on that, Joel? Well, see,
1: I, it was really interesting. I was, uh, I was shadowing at the Tulsa Oilers with the, their play by play guys, you know, watching, and I pulled up like, my phone at the end of the game and go, We have another quarterback? I, I, it was really <laughs> confused because I thought, okay, we already have like six quarterbacks, including Sanders, who's going to be coming in. So, I didn't know why you would throw another another name in the hat, considering right. you already have four in-house options for the spring, and then you got Sanders coming in in the fall, who collectively people think is going to win the job. So why would you throw another name in there? But to me it's interesting because I feel like Mike Gundy and Mike Yersuch wouldn't bring in another quarterback if he wasn't legit. Like, they must really think this dude can play.
0: Yeah, it's kind of exciting that they're bringing in a grad transfer just because I think it just – boost up the rest of the competition but as you and i have talked you know i'm on the spencer sanders hype train so i'm kind of sad about that if he beats him out it's obviously for good reason but hopefully they don't just throw him out there just because he has more experience than sanders because from what i've read hawaii they were more of a run first team but they they do spread it out they do run a lot of rpo which like every college team does rpo the new uh hot word everywhere because of
1: the Eagles now. And people Super don't Bowl. know what, and the commentators don't know what an RPO is.
0: <laughs> that's,
1: that's just play action, bro. Yeah, but, exactly. But he, he, uh, it is exciting.
0: Like I said, I want Sanders to start, but it is exciting. And if Sanders isn't ready, obviously he's not enrolling early. If that time in camp, if he can't be ready, then if Brown is the guy, let's go with him over Cornelius, who we know what he can do. We've seen him. He's not bad, but it's just not its not what I want to have out there. And then Wooty, who it doesn't even look like he can throw from what from what I've seen. I mean, I know he can, but none, neither of those guys excite me. And Brown kind of excites me a little bit, not to the point that Sanders does, but he definitely excites me a little bit. Um, so did you see the stuff about – where his scholarship is going to count towards, 2018 or 2019? No, I didn't see that. Apparently there was a bunch of confusion on this, and Robert Allen cleared it up like two days ago, but he was first going to be 2018, but now he's going to count towards 2019 because he's not going to sign his scholarship papers until August, and apparently he wasn't quote-unquote recruited by Oklahoma State, and the coaches didn't have any off-campus contact with him. Okay, and and then uh, this—he paid for his own way to visit Stillwater last wow. like, two weekends ago. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so he he, all that said, he doesn't have to count towards the 2018 class. He'll count towards the 2019. So I thought that was a little weird, but I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. I guess we we didn't we had one spot left. In this class, yeah, I think so. So he could have counted this way. I don't know if that'll hurt us next year, but it's just one spot, so probably won't be a huge deal. But I thought that was a little interesting. Have you watched any film on him at all? Because all I've watched is highlight videos. Yeah, I just watched
1: highlight videos. I saw a little bit that I think pistols firing put out, and they showed just like little clips of him. He, you know, I think he could fit in this offense pretty well. I mean, he's shown the ability to run a little bit, and he is a—he's a pocket passer. He's pass first, but he can make plays outside the pocket and run a little bit. So he kind of fits almost like a J.W. Walsh type, but I think he's even a better thrower than J.W. was.
0: Yeah, I saw a couple of his balls had some zip to them, and then one in a couple of the highlight videos I watched, he threw it pretty far down the field and hit the receiver in stride. So I know he can throw it. He definitely will keep it on that zone read, though. And it, it looks really similar to what OU was running um, in the playoff before they decided to completely go away from it in the second half with Baker Mayfield. So he definitely can run that read. And, you know, with his size, he looks like a Johnny Manziel, Baker Mayfield out there. I'm not comparing him to those guys.
1: But no, I'm he, just he saying, plays that style.
0: Yeah, that's what he looks like. Like, he'll get outside the pocket and make plays, he'll keep it on the read, like I said. And. He kind of he can create stuff out of nothing, and he's small. He's six foot two hundred. That's why he didn't get any offers coming out of high school, FBS or FCS. So we'll see what he can do. But I'm intrigued by it, and if he's out there, because Gunby has sounded like he wants to play Sanders, and he will play Sanders if he's the guy. So if Brown comes out there and he starts over him, then I'll be pretty intrigued to see what this kid can do. But Definitely want to watch some more Hawaii film. I'm hoping to write something up on him. I don't know how many
1: Hawaii games are going to be on YouTube, but... Maybe one we'll or see. two. I mean, it's probably a big game against, like, Boise State or something like that. Yeah. Uh,
0: you got anything else on Brown before we go to basketball? Yeah,
1: I just I think this is really telling of the development or lack thereof of the rest of the quarterbacks in the room with Cornelius Waddy-Kolar. Because, uh, obviously, Jelani Woods is apparently moving to a cowboy back, so he's, he's out right. now. Obviously, Trayson Wallace is still rehabbing from his knee injury, but... I think that tells me that there's not a lot of confidence in the in-house guys right now. Yeah. So I th- I feel like he de- Brown is definitely an insurance policy for Sanders. If they decide to throw Sanders out there and he struggles, you know you have an experienced quarterback that can come in, probably can learn a system pretty quick. You don't have to limit him, and he can come in and play. Or he can win yeah. the job outright in the fall. So I feel like yeah. either way, Oklahoma State's not – I don't think there necessarily is going to be a quarterback controversy, but I don't think it's going to be, oh, for sure it's going to be Brown, or for sure it's going to be Sanders.
0: Yeah, and I think those are all great points, especially with him just kind of being experienced and knowing, knowing the reads and stuff like that. So... Uh, Yeah, if he he decides to play, I won't hate it if we start with him at the beginning of the year. But like I said, I'm on the Spencer Sanders train. Yeah, I mean,
1: at the end of the day, if he starts, it's a one-year stopgap. You can redshirt Sanders, and he can come in as a redshirt freshman and just ball. Right, that's a solid point.
0: All right, well, if you don't have anything else, I'm going to let you just
1: kind of take us
0: through the emotional roller coaster that has been Oklahoma State basketball in the past 5
1: oh, or 6 days. Oh boy, where to start? Um man, that that KU game, I ro- I woke up and I turned on the game and went, "Well, I don't know how well this is going to go, but I'm going <laughs> to watch it anyway." And I watched us just shoot the lights out in the first half, and I yeah. was just wondering, "Where did this come from?" That was my main question was, "Where where has this team been the whole time that actually t- is taking threes with confidence?" And just knocking at, knocking down shots in a hostile environment, and then you have Cameron McGriff just coming out of nowhere and just dunking on people. They're playing great defense on a really good shooting team in KU with Svi Mykyay and Devontae Graham, and then of course you got Azabuki down low. And it was one of the best games I've watched Oklahoma State play in the last two years. It was better than when I watched them beat, uh, you know, OU and stuff last year. I mean, it was better than any Underwood game I watched last year. It was shocked. I was just shocked, and the th- the main thing was I could I didn't get excited. I didn't you know get hyped up watching the game at all because I was just waiting for the run. When is the Ku run going to come in the second half? Where we blow this lead. I didn't I didn't celebrate until the clock hit zero. <laughs>
0: no, I, I completely agree with you. It was a fun game to watch. Just dominated Ku on the boards. I think it was, I had it pulled up forty one to twenty eight.
1: Incredible. Yeah. <laughs>
0: we were able to get out and run on their turnovers that they didn't turn it over like a ridiculous amount, but when they did, we made them pay. I think we had like 20 points off turnovers, move the ball, scored in the paint. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. I was actually surprised. I know, and I know you, you pay attention to KU basketball and you actually went, did you go to a game? You've been to, I've been to all
1: of your house right? before. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's awesome in itself. But, um, and you, are, and you're a fan just from growing up in Kansas, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I like KU basketball. Obviously, Bill Self's an OSU grad, so I kind of got a little bit right. of a soft spot for him. But, yeah.
0: So, yeah, I know you I know you pay attention to them. And I know they don't go zone. I know that man is their main defense. Bill mm-hmm. Self goes man. But they went zone earlier this year, and, and it worked for them, especially kind of with that four guard, one big lineup. They're able to be kind of rangy. I was surprised they didn't just pack it into a zone against Oklahoma State. I know we were shooting pretty well. But every team that has played, we we see zone, Averett and Smith see zone, and the the guards see zone, and something clicks in their brain to where they can't run the offense efficiently. So I was a little surprised Self didn't make that adjustment. I I honestly think he was worried about how well Oklahoma State was shooting and didn't want to switch into that zone and give them more open threes, but... If it was me and I am way dumber than Bill Smelt, Bill Self, I would have probably sunk into his
1: own. Oh, I, I would have gone to a high 2 3 and forced Oklahoma State to shoot outside. Because you have Lightfoot, who is pretty much their Mitchell Solomon equivalent. Uh, obviously, he's younger and still, but I think he's even a little more athletic than Solomon at times. And yeah. then they have, uh, obviously, when you have a 7 foot 265 guy in the middle, <laughs> it's just absurd. And then, obviously, and then they have DeSouza, who's a young guy that just came in. He graduated high school in December, and now he's playing for KU. And so yeah. he's so young, but he's lengthy and rangy, and I'm surprised they didn't go to that, especially with the athleticism they have at the top, you know, with yeah. Newman and uh, and Devontae Graham, and even uh, Cunliffe, who was a transfer from Arizona State. They had the guys to go zone, and they probably could have – beaten Oklahoma State by 15 if they went zone but Oklahoma State <laughs> just kept and they probably would have because Oklahoma State would have shot themselves out of the game we've seen it happen before oh yeah and
0: Oklahoma State had been lacking energy coming into this game and Cam McGriff brought the energy playing 38 minutes for him him at 38 Smith at 36 Carroll at 38 and Waters at 31 I mean these guys played a lot and McGriff 20 points, nine rebounds. I think he had a couple blocks. He had some sick dunks. And then Kendall Smith, man. That
1: dude's got yeah, ice.
0: <laughs> yeah. He, he's like Richard Hamilton, Derek Fisher out there with the long twos. And that's. I hate that shot, but that's that dude's shot. And If it works, if it works. Shot, I'm fine with him taking it. And, you know, he really, really took control of the offense. Averett didn't have that great of a showing. He was only out there for like 15 minutes, but. Smith really settled these guys down in a hostile environment against a top team, and I was really impressed. And I, We'll get to the Baylor game, but after that KU game, I was like, Kendall Smith is a really, really good point guard. And I'm not saying the Baylor game really changed my mind, but I don't think he's you know, going to be an NBA draft pick or even make it in the league or anything like that, but the dude definitely can play.
1: Yes, and I, yeah, I think Kendall Smith. He's been really good. I think it really since the OU game or the Iowa State game before that. I think right. he. I think that. Real. I think that shot to send him into overtime. I think that gave him a lot of confidence because he played really well at the beginning of the year, and then he kind of had you know a period where he struggled. And then he went to the bench, and then he started scoring more and more. And you see him hitting these clutch shots and clutch free throws. And when you have that senior leadership there, a fifth year guy. That's coming in, you know, in, from playing at Cal State Northridge to being the starting point guard of a Big Twelve team in the best conference of college basketball, and he's knocking down these shots. That's huge for Oklahoma State. Even if he was only going to be here for one year, going forward, that kind of stuff is going to triple down to guys like Averett and you know Lindy Waters, Dzagla, things like guys like that that are going to be around for the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's a great point. His leadership will kind of carry on to those guys because you can tell he's a leader in uh, the pressers. He's he sounds like, you know, he really cares about this team. You know, you heard him talking about the fans after the Baylor game. And on the court, too, you can tell he's a vocal guy. He gets up in Trey Young's face when we play OU. I, so love, you, that. I, mean, I you, love that. I I love that. You can tell he's all Oklahoma State. But, man, I love seeing 44% from three. Because what are we shooting, like 32%? Something stupid like season. that. Yeah,
1: it's terrible. So
0: 12% <laughs> higher. But, man, and this will kind of lead us into the Baylor game, unless you have any last thoughts on Kansas. But, free throws we shot 62% against Kansas I know we didn't take a ton of them in that game but I don't know what's going on with the free throws
1: yeah I don't know two, two last things about the Baylor or the, the KU game one Cameron Griff became my favorite player for Oklahoma State in that game <laughs> uh, just I mean he's uh, I think it was Boyton said that he's just like a junkyard dog and he just <laughs> has that mentality of just I'm going to grind and I'm going to be better than you just because I'm going to work harder than you and I love that and just the way he plays on the floor, he's a matchup nightmare because you can't guard him with a three and he's too quick to be for, to be guarded by a four. So he can play outside and inside and he can just, you know, just destroy people. And he, I'm pretty sure he's going to break down the rim at some point during his career at Oklahoma <laughs> state. Cause he just, he just dunks like Russell Westbrook and just dunks so hard that I'm afraid the rim's going to come down. And then the last thing I knew we were going to win that game when Mitchell Solomon knocked down a three from the corner. <laughs> I, 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 he put that shot. I'm like, oh no! What is he doing? And it went, oh, uh, never mind. Uh, okay, moving on.
0: <laughs> he took three in that game.
1: But the fact that he made one, I think he's made <laughs> four all year. Yeah, I mean,
0: the the dude's confidence level from last year to this year, the difference in it is insane.
1: It's incredible. I mean, he just looks, it, he looks relaxed, which oh, is yeah, something we my,
0: you could tell he was getting down on himself last year after he'd miss a shot or get a stupid foul. And this year, you know, like, I mean, not great on the fouls because he does not mind fouling people this year. But you can tell he's he's just a confident dude out there
1: now. Well, I mean, you saw. I think I saw, and this kind of leads in all to the to the Baylor game as well. But I think I, I can't remember who said it on Twitter, but it said half of Mitchell Solomon's fouls come from bailing people out they get beat,
0: and oh, he has yeah, to just hack him at the John
1: LSU. Yeah, that's who it was. Yeah. And then I think he I think he also said after that KU game that you would have never said two years ago that you're going to miss Mitchell Solomon and that he is going to be the player that Oklahoma State misses the most next season. Oh, dude, it's crazy!
0: It's it's absolutely crazy to me. The, the guy's an absolute stud. He's the heart of this team.
1: Yeah, two years ago I couldn't stand watching that guy even play on the floor. <laughs> I was like, what is this guy doing? And then, yeah, th- and like then last I year, I, recruited. yeah. And then last year, I, you know, I was kind of go back and forth. I'm like, man, this guy's, you know, he's playing really well. He's always playing sound defense, but then you go to the offensive end. I'm like, what is he doing? And yeah. then this year, it's on both ends. I'm like, get, give him the ball. Just give him the ball every time down.
0: Seriously, that's I said. I said on Twitter like eight times a game. But feed him, yes. feed him until they can stop it. It's like we, fe- it's like we go to him when Boynton calls. Hey, throw it to him.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Because you can tell, because Mitch isn't always trying to get that post position. And I think it's a little bit of him recognizing who's guarding him at that point, especially if it's a zone, if he can get, you know, a bad rotation over there and get a smaller guy that he's posting up. But I really think it's just point and calling that. And I think so, too. I, I want the guys to want to throw it down to Mitch.
1: I agree. So, I, I, I think he, he's huge for this team.
0: Yeah. Okay, so that game was great. Joe and Dustin are super pumped. Then we come into Tuesday night. I had a bad feeling about it going into it, just because uh, coming off that huge win, I just felt bad about it. But take me through, take me through the Baylor game, and just what do you think was the issue for Oklahoma State?
1: Yeah, I I walked into the arena and I and I mean and I don't want to blame the crowd because obviously they're they're playing on the you floor. I was there, yeah. So. Okay. So I walk in and I'm like, I was thinking at most there's gonna be about nine thousand, at least there's gonna be about six, and I I think there was maybe sixty three hundred, if that. But it was just like I walked in and went, "There's no energy in this arena. This is not going to go well." And and you could just, I could just feel it from the minute I said, "I don't know how this is gonna go, but if Oklahoma State wins, they're gonna squeak it out." Yeah, and they they played well enough in the first half and then the last three minutes of the first half was probably the worst basketball I've seen Oklahoma State play all season. Yeah. And On both ends. It, it was terrible. And then it led straight into the second
0: half. Mm-hmm. you think that you think something would change there, but it just led straight in. But, yeah, man, that sucks to hear that about the fans. And, you know, I can't really call anybody out because I could probably make it to some of these games after work, living in Oklahoma City, but I'm Proud of you for being there, and you're there a lot, so respect that for sure. But
1: yeah, it looked like the energy
0: was down until until Point broke his clipboard, and then they went on a 8-0 run. Did I love you that. See that at all from where I didn't, you were No,
1: I was sitting a little bit higher up. I, I like sitting on the I think it's the north side. Uh, okay, over by so it's two seventeen to eighteen to nineteen. I love sitting there because it's a little bit higher up. I can see everything because I've you know I've coached basketball in the past, like middle school, high school. And so I love to just sit back and just watch the game. I'm not super rowdy. I just love to just sit there and just break down the game. So I sit higher up so I can see everything on the floor. And I, so I saw the huddle and I saw, well, I saw him call the timeout, took his jacket off and ran out almost to the top of the key in front of the Oklahoma State bench and was just ripping into somebody. I think it was Lindy. And I went, oh, no, this is not good. And oh, yeah. then they close up, and then I saw the tweet about two minutes later, Boynton broke his clipboard and yelled at everyone individually, <laughs> and I went, uh, he's someone I don't want to see angry. Like,
0: Yeah, it, it takes him a lot to get there.
1: Mm-hmm. I thought he was going to get attacked. I, like, I commend him because the some of the officiating in the second half was egregious, and it was it was just awful, and he's screaming at the refs. Like I think Manu LeCompte, they were setting up a play, Baylor was setting up playing. Monolou Compt, I think, stood underneath the bucket for about eight seconds. Like, in the restricted <laughs> arc. And I watched him, like, that's three seconds. There's another three seconds. And Boynton's running down the sideline, almost to the scores table, <laughs> screaming. And then they didn't call it, and he just punched the scores table with like the padding.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And yeah I said, I And man, that. I said, I would have already been ejected. My tie's off. I'm showered, and I'm sitting yeah. in the locker room in a tracksuit waiting for the team to come back in. Because... I would have been gone. <laughs> and yeah, I, I can stay pretty even keeled, but man, it, it, it was bad. Yeah,
0: that officiating was rough. And, you know, it's, it's tough to see that. And I feel like I've seen it a couple of times against Oklahoma State. Not, like, saying the refs have anything against us or anything. But just in college basketball, sometimes there's just bad officiating. And mm-hmm. I feel like there wasn't that game. But, man, Oklahoma State comes out. And, obviously, Baylor's going to play a zone, which is... Baylor's zone is Oklahoma State's
1: kryptonite because they're so lengthy and rangy. mm -hmm. And, you know, they come out there, and I even put a video...
0: I put, like, three videos in a row on Twitter about, man, Oklahoma State is moving the ball. They're trying to get it inside. They're backdoor cutting. They're taking shots from the elbow. Solomon hit that baseline jumper, and then I think McGriff hit one. It's like, man, this is a zone offense. This is what I like to see. And then... Like you said, with about three minutes left, I think it was maybe even a little before that that the offense kind of started dying down. They just were hitting some shots. They just can't really do anything. They're just passing it back and forth between two guys. Nobody's flashing to the high post. Seema's catching it way too far out and trying to make a move, getting the ball stripped, or just not being able to score from there. Solomon's getting positioned. Nobody sees him. I think I put a, I think I put a screenshot up of that. I can't remember who it was it didn't pass it into. It might have been Lindy, but... You know, and their offense just goes completely stagnant, and then it kind of leads down to the defensive end a little bit. They, they lose the energy and the pace that they're playing with on offense, and it leads over to the defensive end. And, you know, defense, Baylor was hitting some shots. Some of them were open, which is, you know, bad on Oklahoma State's defense, but they were hitting some shots. They shot really well. They shot over 50%, over 40% from three. But Oklahoma State was able to turn them over 19 times. Yeah, and they lost
1: the game nineteen mm-hmm. times. Well, that's what, what happens. 19. I think I saw the stat. Oklahoma State went four of eighteen from three, and most of those threes came in the second half. I think they shot I think six or seven in the first half, and they still went two of seven there. So that tells you that tells you the story right there. Oklahoma State shot them. They were they got too far down. They started trying to shoot threes that they're not good at, and I think they also went nine for thirty in the paint. It was something like that. Like, they were hitting a lot of fifteen yeah. footers, but they would try and get to the rack because. I like when Jeffrey Carroll attacks, but he is not attacking properly. He's doing it he's in, with three. It. He's forcing it. And he's trying to get to it, which I'm, I don't mind. But if you know you're not going to – if you're going to go in and they're not going to call fouls when you initiate contact, don't go. Drive in. It's so simple, but I feel like they almost don't do the simple thing. They, they make the hard play, but then they can't make the simple play. And against the zone – the simple play is, especially when you have a one-three-one, which is what Baylor ran the entire game. They ran a one-three-one. You have two guards at the top. You attack the gap between the wing, the guard on the wing, and the guard at the top of the key, and you kick. It's not a. It's not a hard concept. At least I don't think so. I. I don't know. Obviously, I'm not Mike Boyton. I'm not coaching Division One basketball, but zone offense isn't meant to be difficult.
0: Yeah, and I almost. <sighs> I don't want to completely blame it on him, but I don't want to not give him any of the blame because it's a consistent issue, but also, you know, these aren't these aren't the best Oklahoma State basketball players. Absolutely not. I mean, so, but, you know, I think the players, they just get out of their rhythm. They get into a rhythm sometimes, and then they just get out of this rhythm, and they – it's almost like they're thinking too much. Like, hey, right. what, are, what are we supposed to do again? Oh, yeah, swing the ball. Let's swing the ball around for the whole shot clock. Oh, wait, somebody's supposed to flash. Somebody's supposed to cut. So he's supposed to attack, and it just looks like robotic yeah. like, at, at times. So, but, you know, another thing, looking at the stats, how are you going to get 15 offensive rebounds and only get, like, 10 second-chance points? Yeah, that's,
1: that's that's incredible. That was the that incredible have, like, thing 20... to me. Yeah, I, I don't know. But the, I will say, though, I mean, obviously we've talked a little bit of negative, obviously, with the zone offense, but at the very beginning, they were getting shots. They were oh, doing yeah. exactly what you were supposed to do against a 1-3-1. You have the two guards at the top. You have Seema Se- Se- at the high post. And I loved when he actually faced up against the wall. I love that. When he actually faced up yeah. to the bucket and not just, you know, backed him down a little bit and then kicked it back out. He faced up and he hit, a- he hit that 15-footer. And I don't think he's ever made a shot outside of six feet the entire time he's been at Oklahoma State. <laughs> so... And just, just all around,
0: their just play at the beginning was awesome.
1: Yeah, it was that. And, and, that's then, and then if I, there was nothing there at the high post then you kicked it down to the baseline for a jumper and that, that was open three or four times and if that could you know that's how you run it the the baseline short corner jumper is there all the time it's a 131 one because the guards are usually too high because they're guarding the guards on the wings and yeah, you and, and then it's just pick a side when you have the rim protector underneath
0: and Solomon can hit that shot
1: exactly and so can McGriff and so can Lindy yeah. if he decides to sneak down and be a floater
0: yeah and Sean can hit it i mean most of the guys on the team can hit that shot. So I'd like to see Solomon take it more. McGriff McGriffle put it up, but I'd like to see Solomon take it more when he's got the chance. Even, even from the elbow against uh, the 2 3. I, I, I want to see him take that shot a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, it's tough. I mean, that basically ruins their postseason hopes, huh? Mm-hmm.
1: That, that was a must win game, and I said that walking in. My friends were like, oh, no, we'll be fine. I said, no, no, no. no. I don't think you guys understand. This is a must win game. This is a yeah. game that Oklahoma State, they, if they have any opportunity, this is one we need. But I just walked in and I knew the energy wasn't there right away. And I knew that this was probably going to either be a game that Oklahoma State loses badly or they have to grind it out to win. And they weren't able to grind it out. And they ended up, I was ready to leave with about two minutes left. I'm like, okay, this, this it's just not in the cards. But I, I knew that things were going sideways when... Baylor had a fast break. Solomon's back. I think, and you're probably going to know what I'm talking about here. Monolou comps wide open in the corner. And Solomon goes out to guard him and then leaves, and he had a wide open three. And it was some of the, like, the biggest yeah. defensive lapses I've, a, I've ever seen Solomon have at this team. like, How do you leave a dude that for some reason can't miss against Oklahoma State wide open in the corner? In, that, was a, that was a dagger with about 10 minutes left.
0: I'm telling you, I think they're thinking too much. I agree. When they get out of their rhythm and they get tired.
1: Yeah, but Which, I think... I mean,
0: the, the depth issues play a part of that, too. Oh, it does,
1: but. absolutely. Especially, uh, this team missed a shine badly. Because he's a leader yeah. on the floor. He's been around the program for four years now as a redshirt junior. He's the dude they can go to to knock down a key shot or even notice momentum shifting. He's a rangy at 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. He can play really good defense. So you can tell they miss him on both ends. And the fact they were able to beat KU... Without him, says a lot. But the fact that they weren't able to beat Baylor without him says a lot too.
0: Yeah, this, it was definitely a tough loss. And not a fun game to watch. Do you think you think they got any chance against West Virginia on Saturday?
1: Mm, for some reason, we can get up for a big game on the road. So I don't know. Probably.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm think I'm thinking it's another loss. Another I, I think so, Shine's going to be back. He played really well in the first half. The first time we played him. And, you know, I just – I think it's a tough place to play. I, I know they beat Kansas, but I just don't – I don't see them being able to pull off this win. If they do, I'll be pumped. And if they do, I'm telling you, you and I say it all the time. We tweet each other it. Points in the paint. I, I tallied this up because I was doing the preview for West Virginia. In their losses in, since Big 12 play, including the Arkansas game, 26.5 points in the paint per game. In their wins, 34.0 points of the paint per game. Makes a difference. Pass it to Solomon. Feed him.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And the thing is, I think if you can get Kanate in foul trouble, because I think he leads the, not the nation, I think he's it tops he's the big top one in blocks. Yeah, yeah, top five in top blocks. Five. So if you can get him in foul trouble, I don't know what other big they have that can handle Sema or Solomon. Yeah, and I, I think it, it, Oklahoma State's athletic, and fa- I think we like playing fast enough that I think we can get West Virginia. If you can get West Virginia out of their press, then I think we, I think we at least have a chance because they like to just pressure and get turnovers in the, you know, and they don't play that great of half court defense. So I think if we can force them out of the press, I think there's a legitimate shot there.
0: I think so too, and Javon Carter, he's a great player, but his offense has fallen off since the last time we played him. I think he's dropped like three or four points per game in his uh, season average. And another good thing about West Virginia, which it is also their strength, but kind of a good thing for Oklahoma State, is they're not going to fall back into a zone. They're going to play man, and we play better against man teams. Our our spread motion offense is – our bread and butter, and that you run against man defense. So,
1: yep. and and I think the other thing is, and this is something I think I talked about with Trey on the Bush League podcast one time. I think it was before the West Virginia game at home, when it de- this game will really be dependent on how the officiating crew calls the game. If they let them play, West Virginia is going to run us out of the gym because West Virginia yeah. plays so aggressive, ninety four feet that they're going, they they foul you. They they will, we will be in the double bonus in both sides. Uh, in both halves, I mean, because they they have no problem fouling because they have the depth and they just play that aggressive. But if it's a t- if it's a refereeing crew that calls a bunch of ticky tack fouls, it goes into Oklahoma State's favor.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. If 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 they're letting West Virginia getting away with the tugging and grabbing that uh, Javon Cutter always does, but he's still really good at defense. He just he kind of Tony Allen's, yeah. But if they let him get away with that, then. Yeah, it's gonna be a long day. And also, I didn't even think about this. He's been playing really well, but uh, Isai Ahmad, he he didn't play in the first game.
1: Oh, <laughs> okay. I didn't even
0: realize that. But he's, I mean, he's averaging double figure scoring. He's another six eight. He's like Lamont West. Uh, they're pretty similar players. Um, but yeah, so they got him back too. But they didn't have the first time they played us. So. That could be an issue in itself, but we'll see. They don't have a lot of great shooters. Um, Carter can obviously shoot. They got a couple other guys, but you know the other guard they trot out there, Daxter Miles. That dude shoots like twenty five percent from three. So, but
1: knowing against us, he'll find a way to make like eight threes and have <laughs> thirty eight points or something like that.
0: Yeah, watch out for Javon Carter to go off for whatever his career high is too. With how probably guards, but. But,
1: yeah, I don't think we're going to win it. It sounds like you think we got a little bit of a shot. I think, to me, it really depends on, again, how the officiating crew is and if we can get West Virginia out of their press. If it's a crew that's letting West Virginia get away with a bunch and they're able to press us the whole game, we'll lose by probably 15. But yeah. I, think, I think either way we find a way to keep it close just because of how hard Oklahoma State plays for 40 minutes and how mm-hmm. important has them play for that long. He won't let them mail it in. There's just no way.
0: Yeah, I mean, dude's a good coach. I love him. He is. I'm.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm still all in on him. Yeah. I, I, you know, I know people that are already starting to fall off just because we can't win a, you know, a winnable game, but we win the big ones. It's like, yep, yeah, that's going to come with time. And it's also yeah. getting more recruits in and getting guys in. I thought it was awesome that he went and immediately started recruiting after they beat KU. He got on a plane and started going places. I thought that was fantastic yeah that is awesome and
0: and you know another thing you uh you want him to have a year where he doesn't have guys decommit and flip because of an fbi investigation right you know so just give the man a little bit of a chance he can obviously coach and i i really don't think the zone offense struggles are i don't think the percentage is highly weighted towards him on that no i don't
1: think so either (laughs) But
0: yeah, okay. Well, do you, you got any You got anything else? For no,
1: I think that's all I got. I did see North Carolina did beat Duke, so there's more chaos in college basketball.
0: Yeah, <laughs> earlier I was watching just a little bit of it. There was a dunk early from Duke. I couldn't tell what player it was, but it was absolutely nasty. Yeah, it might have been but, Bagley
1: or uh, Duval, Duval or whatever. I, I, I
0: think it was. I think it was him. It, it wasn't Bagley because I, I know it's Bagley because of that hair, and he's a big dude.
1: Yeah, the fact but, that he uh, should be a senior in high school.
0: That's absolutely nuts. But all right, well, Joel, again, really appreciate you coming on, dude. Uh, filling in for Kate. Kate will be back next week. Uh, Joel, where can everybody follow you on Twitter?
1: Follow me at JT Penfield on Twitter, and then also make sure to watch out for the Bush League Podcast. Uh, we're gonna start getting that out a little bit more. It may not be with Trey, obviously, he's getting ready for spring training, so there will be content out there. Talk about all kinds of sports, Dustin. You're more than welcome to come on whenever. And oh, we just yeah. kind of shoot the bowl for an hour talking about baseball, um, any college sport, NBA, whatever you guys want to talk about. We just, you know, we just like to make it fun that way. No, I would love that. Thanks
0: for that. Thanks for the invite. But, yeah, so follow Joel. Make sure to subscribe to that podcast. It's on SoundCloud, iTunes, on the website. And then you can follow me at DustRagu, D-U-S-T-R-A-G-U. And make sure to follow the main account at Cowboys RFF. We will see you next week. Go Pokes.
1: Go Pokes.